Welcome everyone, I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana and we're here for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. My guest today is Liz Swain and we will be talking about all things downtown and, and, and maybe others uh, and there's other no things. one I'd rather yes. speak to about those things. Thank you, it's great being here. Thanks Liz. All right, so Liz, you you grew up in North Florida. I did. Went to college in Pensacola and came to Shreveport for a job with one of the local TV stations. That I did. You never intended to stay here. Correct. But man, <laughs> are we happy you did. Thank you. You were the executive assistant to Mayor Hightower from 1998 to 2006. Correct. And since 2010, I believe, you have been the executive director of the Shreveport Downtown Development Authority. And the nonprofit sister organization, the Downtown Shreveport Development Corporation, which is also a very important component in the whole downtown redevelopment thing. And one goes by DDA and one goes by DSTC. You got it. Okay. All right, we'll probably spend most of the discussion talking about downtown because you were such an authority on all things downtown Shreveport. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's start, if, if we could, by talking about this quote I came across of yours. And I, and I added a word or two because it, it read a little bit better, but uh, hopefully you remember this and it's okay. Um, the quote is, we've got to have a downtown that the sidewalks don't roll up at five o'clock in the afternoon and nothing happens before eight o'clock in the morning. If we don't do that, if we're not successful at that, we're gonna be unsuccessful at almost everything else. That is a great quote <laughs> and it's so true. And let me give you another quote that I love and I repeat often. There is no great city without a great downtown. Let's think about that for a minute. There is no great city without a great downtown. Almost everyone who's listening or watching has been somewhere to another town, another city, large or small, and have gone to the downtown and had a great time there. It's where art and culture and music and food and shopping and activity happens. It is what welcomes, invigorates, and invites you to a community. If your downtown is not successful, if your downtown is not vibrant and colorful and joyful, it is indicative of greater problems in your community. We want people who come to Shreveport, many of who will never leave the downtown area. Let's think for a moment about the number of people who come to Shreveport who come to the casinos, and that is the only thing that they will see. Who may come to the aquarium because they see a billboard on the interstate. Who may happen to catch the beautiful Millennium mural out of the corner of their eye and want to stop and take a photo. We see that every day. That interaction that they have with our downtown, that may be the only thing that they know or take away from their time, however short or long, in the city of Shreveport. So we want it to be spectacular. And there are a variety of ways that we can do that, 
but all of them require partnerships. All of them require partnerships from our elected officials, from our governmental entities, from our business owners, from our property owners and managers. We can't do it alone. It, you know that old quote that everybody loves to mock, it takes a village, it does. It takes everybody to make a good downtown. And that's what we're aiming for. Love it. And it's it's a bit of the, would you say, I mean, a downtown of a city is a bit of the heart or the spine of that city. It is the heart. It can be a majority of organs. But let's just say the heart is the one that we think about because the heart is pumping the blood. The heart is keeping you alive. The heart is... Uh, encouraging you to get out there and do things and and without that um, then the brain's not very functional the spine's not very functional nothing else is working so next question we're we're in the middle of one of the most major developments to happen to downtown Shreveport in 25 years maybe more the move of the state building from Fairfield to 500 Fannin. For us lay people, talk to me about why this project is so important. Also, when can we expect the move to take place? That is a big deal. It is one component in a, a whole landscape of big deals happening downtown. And I do not want to say that it is not huge because it is. Anyone who, again, who's listening to the podcast, who has spent any time at all in downtown Baton Rouge, can see what the state hath wrought in that downtown. Downtown Baton Rouge, even as recently as 15 to 20 years ago, was not the same place it is today. And so much of the energy and excitement and building and development that they have been able to uh, to create there is because of the investment that has come from the state of Louisiana. Bobby Jindal was very specific about it when he was governor. He wanted the IBM facility in downtown Baton Rouge and he incentivized it wholeheartedly to make sure that those hundreds of employees would would work downtown and those hundreds of employees many of them probably also live downtown they shop downtown they eat downtown they walk downtown and when you have that many people doing things downtown it means that more restaurants are going to come and more apartments are going to come and more shops are going to be there and more coffee shops are going to be there and all of that has happened it is not rocket science it's pretty simple it's pretty straightforward but this for whatever reason is the first time that we have been able to encourage the state of Louisiana to make a serious, serious, substantial investment in our downtown. And they are all on board and they want to do it and it looks like it's going to happen. There are several people that must be thanked for this. Not only the willingness on behalf of the state to do it uh, at the more, uh, I guess, the more department head level, uh, office of Building and Maintenance really saw the need to do this. But our state representative, Cedric Glover, who was just never say die on this, who kept coming back to the wisdom and the common sense of making this move. And then more recently, State Senator Robert Mills, who played a huge role in also uh, you know, bringing in his side of the legislature on this. 
And there are others that I could think as well, but those two really, you know, helped bring this home. So when will it happen? Uh, the state of Louisiana has chosen two key groups. One is the demolition side, and they're going to be going in and doing the demolition, the interior work on that building, which is the old federal building, the old, they, we call it the Joe D. Wagner. It was named after a, a representative who served the Shreveport area for many, many years in Washington. They will first have to go in and do some asbestos remediation, demolish out the interior of the building because the state's intention is to use the skeleton of the building to construct a new, modern, te technologically correct, ADA compliant, uh, very uh, environmentally friendly building for the state. So uh, Newman Marsheve, which is a local firm, has won that, which is great. Then more recently, some local architects won the, the, this is great, I'm so excited about this. So they're going to be the, I guess you would call them the, the designers of the new look. And it's an architect named Christopher Coe, an architect named Misha Farrell, and then a third architect from Shreveport who I'm momentarily blanking on his name, but we have a local group who's doing that. That is so wonderful because we can go to those people and we can say, hey, what if you do this and this and this, as opposed to having a group down in Baton Rouge or New Orleans that we would have limited access to. So they are starting to work now and they have a process that they'll work through. But, but my guess is, you know, nothing happens as quickly as we'd like for it to. That whole magic wand thing doesn't generally, uh, the batteries wear out. But uh, I'm going to guess three years, three years before we have a building that is, the doors are open, people are coming into it. Why is that important? Well, it takes a blighted building that had really no, not much hope of uh, being converted into anything else just because of the size, the cost, and the asbestos. And it's also not old enough to be a historic building so it can't get historic tax credits and there were just a number of things that were not in its favor. So that building was going to sit there and be blighted and unattractive and empty for the foreseeable future, but not now. So we've got a building that will be beautiful, that will draw people who will need the services there, and have, we're thinking, we're being told between five and 600 employees who will at the very least want to go get a cup of coffee sometimes and want to go get lunch sometimes and need to probably want to go shop and walk the sidewalks. And they'll be right there next to the Second Circuit Court. So that's great for the state. And it just, again, shows that people care about downtown. So puts a building back into use, brings about 600 people downtown, takes this blight away from this block of Fannin, um, creates, you know, just another opportunity for our businesses. And it does something for Fairfield as well, right? It does. It does. Part of the deal with all of this, there was a secondary bill that was passed, again, thanks to Representative Glover, to have the Mary Allen building, which is the current state building, put under the auspices of the Shreveport uh, Redevelopment Authority, which allows local citizens who are part of this Redevelopment Authority, which is, uh, I, I don't want to say controlled by the city of Shreveport, but it works with the city of Shreveport, and they put the members of the board on the Redevelopment Authority, but they will be in a position to determine the highest and best use 
for this building and to do requests for quotes, requests for proposals, go out and try to find a great use for this building and then actually um, do some negotiation with whoever the hope, hope for um, developer will eventually be. Awesome. Yeah. It's a good thing. It's a good thing all the way around. It's a, it's a major thing. It's a, it, it is a major thing. It's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my next question is, I read that 10 to 15 years ago, there was almost no place to live downtown. Correct. So talk to me about the current residential situation downtown. How many units exist? Mm-hmm. What are the major residential buildings? And how many downtown residents do you expect there to be in the next three to five years? For whatever reason, downtown Shreveport was very slow to accept downtown residential. There was the belief... Let me go back a little bit. Let's let's do a little history. Let's play a little history game. Yeah. And we're not just talking about downtown Shreveport. This happened to downtowns across the country. Downtowns were it. You know, in the early part of the 1900s, downtowns were where you worked. Downtowns were where you went for entertainment and especially shopped, right? Downtown was the hub of everything. And then after World War II, all of that started changing with the GI Bill. When all of those millions of young men came home from the Pacific and from Europe and were able to access the GI Bill, they went back to school, but they were also able to get loans on homes. The United States needed to jumpstart the the economy because for years we had been on war footing and all of our factories had converted to tanks and airplanes and jeeps and war materiel and we needed to convert them back to the construction trade to building homes, to building factories, and we needed to encourage people to build homes at a rapid clip. And what the GI Bill did was, Jeffrey, if you had just come back from Europe where you had spent four years and you wanted to buy a house, you could go and get a loan for almost zero percent from the federal government if you would build a house in a suburb outside of the city center because we needed to build houses so that those factories would be producing goods for those houses so that you would need a new washing machine and you would need a refrigerator and you would need flooring and you would need windows. The government did not want to rehab existing buildings. They wanted to build, so it was go, 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 build, 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 let's build roads, let's build buildings, let's get the economy going again. That started encouraging people to leave downtown. If you can get 0% on a new house, you're going to build the new house. And so people started leaving, going to the suburbs, and jobs followed. So the factories followed, the jobs followed, and suddenly around the country, our downtowns started becoming empty, vacant. The department stores, the Sears, the JCPenney, uh, the Palais Royal, the all the Selber brothers, they all left. They all left. They all went to the suburbs, they went to the shopping centers, and then later the shopping malls. Cities around the country back in the late 70s into the 80s and later 80s, and especially the early 90s, started realizing that downtowns had something very unique. The historic buildings, 
the ease of walking, the ease of living. You could live, work, play all in one place. You might not need a car. Uh, the buildings were cool. They could be rehabbed into all sorts of things. There wasn't still that GI Bill that was funneling all that money into the economy. And so cities around the country started saying, let's put some emphasis on our downtowns. For whatever reason, the city of Shreveport did not do that. We were still looking outward. And you can certainly see that in how much we have grown geographically over the years. We are now a very, very large city geographically. Not population-wise, but geographically. We're humongous. We're so spread out. And people loved having the big property and the big house and the big yard and all that sort of thing. And now they're rethinking that whole deal, right? It's like, that's no fun. I only thought that was fun. Now I want to go someplace that I don't have to spend all day on Saturday mowing, right? And so the city uh, city officials, the, the mayors who really have control the bully pulpit and help control the money, didn't see the need for bringing people back downtown because we were growing, growing, growing outward, right? So why spend money downtown? We're already, you know, getting people building way out here. It was then up to the developers to do it. And developers are risk averse. Let's face it, developers want to make money. They have to make money. They have to satisfy the bank. They have to satisfy their investors. They have to satisfy their bottom line. So why in the world are they going to take a huge risk to develop a building that has probably been sitting vacant for 20 to 30 years that has all sorts of issues and not have any way of knowing if people really want to live downtown because the city isn't putting any money into it. So obviously somebody is thinking that that's not a sure bet. So it was some very brave people who took the first steps and there was an individual, a gentleman named Leon Darys, who took one of the first steps and he bought a little building downtown. It was an old Salvation Army building on Crockett Street. And he said, by golly, I'm going to take this building and I'm going to rehab it into six apartments. And everybody told him, this was in the mid 1990s, you're crazy. Nobody wants to live downtown. It's scary, it's dark, it's sketchy. You're nuts. And he said, well, maybe I am. And maybe I'll lose my shirt. And he rehabbed it and it filled up immediately and for years he never even had to put an ad when one of his apartments people were just lined up and then there was a company out of New Orleans of all things and we see this locally sometimes it's not the locals who take the first step it's people from out of town so we had this company called HRI out of New Orleans that has a history of building apartments in New Orleans and they had a lot of experience with historic buildings. And so they were start, sort of looking around downtown and they were looking at two old buildings, again, that had been vacant for a long time. One was a former jewelry building, the United Jeweler Building. One was an old warehouse, Lee Hardware. And through a great uh, partnership with community development in the city and Downtown Shreveport Development Corporation, we were able to kind of lure them in to say, let's give this a try. We know we need residential downtown. So they were incentivized to the degree that they felt like they could give it a try. 
and they came in and they rehabbed those buildings and there were 50 units in one building and I think 53 units in another, boom, filled up, boom. Never a vacancy, 100% occupied. You'd have to kill somebody to have a vacancy, right? And people started taking notice. Wow, maybe there is this desire. And little by little, but because we could have done it faster. Had there been that um, partnership, that joint push by, uh, by our governmental entities and others to really say to developers, we will help you not fail on this, um, we could have done it faster. But there was still, you know, outward, we were still outward looking at that point. In 2005, the Louisiana legislature did something incredibly wise incredibly wise, and I know we love to rag on our elected officials, but I'm gonna say that this is something they did right. They voted on something called historic tax credits. And what the tax credits allow you to do is rehab a historic building, and if you do it right, if you do it according to what they've told you that you have to do, you can get tax credits on that building. It's not cash. They just allow you then to get a piece of paper that you can then sell to someone else for cash that you can save money on your taxes, on your state taxes. So it's not like money that they're giving you a check or anything like that. It's that they're giving you a break on your taxes, right? But that was the thing that opened the gates. When the state of Louisiana did that, suddenly you started seeing a lot of interest in our larger historic buildings. <clears throat> and since then, we've had the Ogilvy Hardware Lofts. We've had the Standard, which is the old Commercial National Bank. We've had the Lofts at 624, which is the old Sears department store. And we've had a variety of smaller projects as well, having two and three and four apartments. We have right now on the books, a group looking at the old petroleum tower, which will be about 120 apartments. And we have some new build that was incentivized by a HUD grant. Um, so new build can't access historic tax credits. We are still drastically underbuilt in apartments for downtown Sherrymore, drastically. Even with the brand new apartments at the new development called Bayou Grand, which is down at Caddo and Common Street, we still have under 1,000 units downtown. A city our size should have 2,000 at least. And that's the direction we're aiming for. But we're having to do it in dribs and drabs. We have a developer who recently purchased the old Rubensteins and Lanford uh, department store. He intends to do uh, apartments there. We have a new owner of the old Centerpoint building, which is in the 500 block of Milam, right across from the courthouse. A huge building, historic building, can get historic tax credits. He's looking at doing uh, some type of apartment. It may be extended stay type apartment. So we've got a variety of people who are looking, and we encourage this with every developer who comes downtown because we know now you know, back in the day, back in the mid-1990s, this was a, an incredible risk. It was a, if I build it, will they come? Now, we tell people, if you build it right, we know they'll come, and they'll pay top dollar. And that's our goal, to get more people. That prevents the sidewalks rolling up at 5 o'clock. 
that keeps our streetscape vibrant until eight o'clock in the morning. It incentivizes the Noble Savage to reopen, which is reopening again. It incentivizes the brand new restaurant that we just announced in the Red River District to open, the new Papitos XO restaurant at Art Space. We've got to have people downtown in addition to people coming into downtown supporting these businesses. But it makes it much easier for everybody. I love it. Okay, so this this next one's a bit of a curveball. <laughs> um, and I, I might have read this incorrectly, but as I was preparing for our discussion today, <clears throat> I came across something that jumped out at me. I read that until a few years ago, it was illegal to have a sidewalk cafe yes. in downtown Shreveport. Talk to me for a second about this. Why was that rule in place? And why did it take so long to overturn it? I'm gonna tell you that there are things I cannot. <laughs> it makes no sense. It just makes no sense. You know, we have so many rules on the book, so many laws, so many rules that seem counterintuitive to everything we want to do. And we are just incapable of making it easier for people. And I know why. Look, I understand there are legal issues, there are liability issues, there are right-of-way issues. All of those make sense. But we can still make it work. But it takes the people, it takes willingness of assistant city attorneys to do the legwork to say, we can make this legal. Because I can't say it, you know, I can't do it. The city of Shreveport owns the sidewalks in downtown Shreveport. They own the bricks, they own the trees, they own the curbs, they own the infrastructure on the sidewalks. And so if anybody wants to put something on their property, it's a legal kind of a hassle, right? Because you're giving them this uh, right of way usage and very complicated, can be very complicated. To the layman, it seems like, well, let just do it, right? But they don't realize the hours and hours and hours and you know things that you have to do. Several years ago, and we had been working for years and years with an assistant city attorney who was trying and trying, but just couldn't get it over the finish line. And then this woman named Karen Strand came to the city attorney's office and she said, we can do this. And Karen Strand, to her credit, and I will love her forever, uh, she left the city of Shreveport a few years ago and now she works in the city attorney's office over in a up-and-coming uh, East Texas town. But Karen said she got all the people together and she wrote up the, the ordinance and she said, and this is how we will do it. And we have never looked back. So it just requires finding that one soul who will put their you know knee to the grindstone and make it work. With the state building, Cedric Lover. With this, Karen Strand. But you know, but it takes Again, those partners say, and I said to Karen, if you just get it to this point, hand it off, and we'll never look back. And so now we have sidewalk cafes. Can you, let's again, let's think about that great downtown. If we don't have a great downtown, we don't have a great city, if we don't have a thriving downtown, 
What downtowns that you go to that you love don't have sidewalk cafes? There are people outside. They're laughing. They're eating. It makes you want to join them. There's generally music. There's things to see. You can stare at what people are eating and figure out if you want to eat it. They've got a dog. You know, all of this, it just, it's common sense, right? It's common sense. And so now the Missing Link has a sidewalk and Pepito's has a sidewalk and the Noble Savage is putting in for a sidewalk and there's a, a bar on uh, Commerce Street that has a sidewalk and Poppin' Pizza has just put in an application for a sidewalk cafe and, and I hope that we see more, more, more of those. I mean, there's just no reason why we shouldn't. But yes, up until very recently, if you had tried to put something on the sidewalk, you would it would have been illegal. Would you have been arrested? I don't know. Would you have been cited? Probably, but it was illegal. Well. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. So my next question is, I, I believe that we have the second largest convention center in the state. How important is the convention center to downtown and do you see it playing a larger and larger role as you continue to work to revitalize and grow downtown Shreveport? So the convention center was uh, the brainchild of former mayor Keith Hightower who I worked with and I remember all of this very well because it was a little bit controversial at the time. The city of Bossier had already determined that they wanted a big performance center, the CenturyLink Center. And there was no reason for the city of Shreveport to do the same. That counterproductive. Why compete in that way? So they had already said, we want this, and so that meant that the city of Shreveport needed to go in a different direction. Well. Mayor Hightower was fine with that because at the time, if you, for those of you who've been around Shreveport for a while, you know that almost every convention was using the old, outdated, and very small Expo Hall on the Clyde Van Parkway. The Expo Hall didn't have enough parking, it was small, again, it wasn't, wasn't all that functional. And we needed something. If we were going to draw conventions, if we were going to and we call conventioneers, we love them. We love people who come from outside of Shreveport to come to Shreveport because they come with pockets full of money. Because it's a vacation or it's a special event. And so they're staying in hotels, they're eating at your restaurants, they're buying gas, they're going shopping, you know, any variety of things, but they're leaving their money local. So this is just perfect. These are people that we don't have to build houses for, but they come and they just throw money at us. More, we need more, we need more, more of that. And so, from the get-go, Mayor Hightower was telling people, those who were listening, the convention center will not ever probably pay for itself because it's a giant building. It requires a lot of electricity, a lot of water, a lot of employees, and a lot of maintenance. But the people that it will bring there will put so much money into city coffers in the form of sales tax and boosting local businesses that it becomes a wash, right? So the people who look just at the bottom line of the convention center and say, the convention center is running at a deficit, they're not looking at the whole picture. 
they're not looking at how much money the uh, restaurants and the hotels are making because of the people coming to the convention center that they would not be making otherwise. So and that's an important part. Having a functional convention center is very important. Having it in downtown is wonderful because if we play our cards right, we can then lure those people who are there for USA Boxing and the um, USA Volleyball and the Goldwing Motorcycle Convention and everything else that the Convention and Tourist Bureau brings to town, we lure them into downtown. And same thing with the people who live downtown. They go eat, they go buy souvenirs, you know, they, they enjoy themselves, they create a vibrancy and a foot traffic. But it's on us to do that because these are people coming from out of town and they don't have any idea, you know, what to do when they leave the doors, the walls of that convention center. So we work really closely with the Convention and Tourist Bureau and the hotel, the Hilton Hotel, which is usually the headquarter hotel, uh, to get that word out to people and have been you know, relatively successful at that. It, it's always difficult to get something in front of people's faces, you know, unless you're just standing right there and holding, or, you know, holding something in front of them and tell them they can't move until they read it. But that's generally illegal. Um, <laughs> so very important to have that good functional. It has been very successful. I think in some ways it's been more successful than we ever would have imagined. And COVID is partially responsible for that because when COVID hit a lot of very large events started canceling at facilities around the country and decided that they did not want to go to larger cities where there were more people and more opportunity to get COVID. They wanted to go to places that weren't as crowded and weren't as dense and they wanted to have smaller events and because of that we've been able to get some USA Boxing, I mean, this is huge. These are the ones who go to the Olympics in a few years. We'll be seeing some of these people on television. And, uh, you know, the USA Volleyball Tournament and things of that nature. So um, the thing that we need to continue working on is making the convention center feel more like downtown. Because right now when you go to the convention center, it almost feels standalone. It's on the edge of downtown, it's on the perimeter, it's right there on an area that could be beautiful, cross by you, you know, so that's, that's a discussion for another day as, as well. Some things that we can do to cross by you to flow into downtown. Um, having uh, clearly visible entrances into what we call our traditional downtown from the convention center. And one of the things that's holding us back a little bit is when you think about where the convention center is and how you get there from downtown, if you're going on, say, Edwards Street or if you're going on Spring Street, um, it's not particularly, that walk might not be all that attractive. There are buildings that have been knocked down so you're walking past parking lots. There are ways to make that more attractive through art, um, maybe sculpture, lighting, signage, and those are some things that we, we definitely need to continue to work toward. Because we want those people at the end of whatever event, like this weekend with GeekCon, or I don't want to date myself, that whenever there's an event down there, uh, we want all of those people to leave whatever event that is and to walk back into downtown Shreveport. Love it. All right, so I'm down to my last question with you, Liz. And oh, no. We can keep, we can keep, <laughs> we can keep talking, but... Um, 
my question is as follows. So lastly, and you you already mentioned this a little bit, I know that you wish you could wave a magic yes. wand yes. and immediately transform downtown Shreveport into the downtown you envision. Yes. I came across another quote of yours, and it was simply, we're getting it done, mm-hmm. building by building, mm-hmm. step by step. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your patient incremental approach and what do you say to residents who look at downtown and only see how much more there's left to do yeah that is super frustrating it really is because when you're down there every day you see what's happening Uh, and people who who come in rarely they'll see what's happening but others will say why aren't we doing it more quickly why 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 isn't anybody doing anything but what they're not seeing it's like the duck on the lake the duck that you see on the lake is calm and unruffled but below the waterline those feet are really moving and I'll say that downtown is just like that there's a lot of feet really moving that you may not see and may not know about and I would encourage everyone uh, we do an e-blast every Thursday that goes out uh, via email and you can sign up by either contacting our office, you can go to the Shreveport DDA Facebook page, there's a sign up tab on that page. I would encourage anyone who has any interest, any interest in downtown at all to sign up for that because that gives you, in some cases, kind of a snapshot of different projects that are going on. And so it, it makes you really more in the know. I'm gonna answer this in a whole bunch of different ways. Please. Incremental is important. Organic is important. When you go into cities that have, that have a magic wand and have a lot of money and they wave it and they go in and they tear down big wide swaths of their historic downtown and they build this new shopping thing and in a few years the new shopping thing is not new anymore and nobody's going and it's just another expanse that nobody cares about. We don't need to do that. We need to take these historic buildings and rehab them. They're part of our culture. They're part of our history. They're part of our life. They're who we are. And turn them into something that is useful for today. And if we can do that slowly and incrementally and fill them as we go and listen to people about what they want, um, then we will be successful. If I pretend like I know what everybody wants, or I bring in a consultant who is definitely going to pretend like they know what everybody wants, and we say, yeah, we're going to do that, uh, then I don't know how successful we will be. So I love the incrementality of doing things one at a time, making it successful and moving to the next thing, but I understand, too, that it is frustrating and it is slow, and there may not be enough years left on Earth for that. So it is important to have as many things going on as possible. The other thing is to make downtown a place that everyone wants to be. So it needs to be welcoming to all in terms of who, who you've, you are uh, in your business. You're, we are open for business to any race, any sex, any ethnicity. We, all we ask is that you love downtown is that you become a partner in a revitalization of something that is, we believe, can be spectacular. 
And when you look at the diversity that we have in our downtown, the number, even recently, of black-owned businesses from small to large, uh, Poppin' Pizza, and uh, the new one that we just opened in the Red River District called General, uh, Generals, and uh, Pepitos, and we love we love our gumbo, right? The the different types of people, the different backgrounds, the different uh, experiences that creates a stronger, more diverse, and more exciting downtown. And we are thrilled, you know, to have evidence of this every single day, you know, and um, whether people are brand new to downtown or whether they've been there forever, they seem to have the same joy and excitement about downtown, and, and I never want to tamp that down in anybody. So they are adding a tremendous amount to our downtown, all of our new businesses, our existing build businesses. Um, the thing that is, we have, let's talk for a moment about our challenges. I know I'm kind of going all over the place, but one thought leads to another. We've got a couple of challenges. One challenge that is a very real challenge, when people drive downtown, they go, oh my gosh, look at all these abandoned buildings. Well, let me correct people. We don't have any abandoned buildings. Abandoned means somebody's walked away from it. What we do have is vacant buildings. Very different thing. Abandoned buildings, if somebody's walked away from it and never paid tax on it, we can get those buildings, you know, eventually and, and rehab them and sell them and, you know, get people in them. Vacant buildings are buildings that people own and they're probably paying taxes on them, but they're not maintaining and they have no plans for them and they don't want to sell. That is a challenge. We have hundreds of thousands of square feet of buildings in downtown Shreveport and you can name several as you drive through that have out-of-town owners or local owners who have just checked out of the process. They don't want to do anything with the building, but they also are unwilling to sell the building. In effect, they are holding us hostage. They are holding downtown, they are holding the city, they are holding our community, and they are holding all their neighbors hostage because they are unwilling to do anything with their building. I understand that some people don't want to rehab their building. Maybe they got it in a lawsuit. Maybe they got it uh, in a will. Maybe, you know, who knows? They just bought it for a really cheap price and they thought it was a good deal and they're just going to hold on to it for a while. Variety of reasons. But we cannot allow them to do that because it comes to, at the detriment of everything else downtown and everything that, that we as a community are trying to do with our downtown. What cities have done across the country to varying degrees of success, some have been very successful, is something called a vacant property registry, where if you own a vacant property, you're gonna be on this registry and the registry is going to require you to do several things. One of the things is you're going to have to have insurance on your building. You're going to have to have your building secured. Potentially, you might have to bring it up to code. In some cities, you do. You're going to have to have a business plan for your building. What are your intentions? So that means that you, who may be out of town with this building that you never think about, at the very least, you've got to think about it for a little bit and put together this business plan or this plan of action. 
And if you don't want to do any of that stuff, then you're going to have to pay a fee every year. And you're probably going to have to pay a fee anyhow, small fee, that may escalate the longer you have that building vacant. But on the other side, we don't want it all to be stick. There needs to be carrot with this. On the other side, we're going to be doing everything that we can to help you to uh, help you create your dream for that building or to help you sell that building so that you can go create your dream somewhere else. And we're also going to be looking hopefully for some grant opportunities for people to do things with their building. We'll help you get historic tax credits for your building. So again, carrot and stick, but the option is not to do nothing. That is not an option. So that's challenge number one. And who who implements that registry? How, how does that become enforced and how does that yes. become? All good questions. It's got to be the municipality. It's got to be the city. So we have been talking to the environmental court, which is a relatively new thing for the city of Shreveport, which has been, in my mind, incredibly successful and much needed. An environmental court, we've talked to the judges and they see the need in it. And the judges say, let's talk after the election because things are, you know, right now it's, you just don't know what the future will hold. And we will revisit that. So it would have to be the city and it would have to be under property standards or one of the entities that would be able then to, and the DDA, we will help in whatever way we can but it would have to be the city. And then, you know, it will have to pass vetting by probably the city council and, and all of that. But it's incredibly important. There are only two- Why would, let me interrupt one second. Why would, why would the city be opposed to the, what, what, is the, what, is, what is the drawback or the negative to moving in that direction? My guess is that property owners who have historically not wanted to do anything with their buildings will, will scream the loudest. And they will say, how dare you tell me that I have to do something with my building? How dare you tell me that uh, I don't have, that, you know, that you're infringing upon my property rights to hang on to this building until it falls to the ground? I can argue against that logic all day long. Sure. Because not only are you allowing your building to become impacted, you are allowing every, you are creating a problem for every building around it. The Unita Biscuit building that is currently being rehabbed for apartments in the 700 block of Milam Street, one of our most beautiful and historic buildings downtown with that gorgeous Unita Biscuit painted sign on the side of it, very iconic, came this close and I'm holding my fingers like half an inch apart to being demolished because a small leak in the roof that could have been repaired for under $5,000 was allowed to continue to get larger and larger and larger to the point that all five floors, all five floors had collapsed inside the building. And that building was threatening the building next to it. Also a historic building, but a building that a group of attorneys uh, use as their office. And every time a piece of the, you need a building would collapse, it would shake the walls of the building next to it. And so um, thankfully we were able to find a developer who was willing to buy the building and it took years of negotiating with the owner who thought even though that building was near demolition that it was still worth 
hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it took years for, for this developer to be able to purchase the building at a price that made sense and then go in and spend the millions of dollars more that it's going to take to shore the building up and put it back in shape. So that's what we're trying to avoid with, with these uh, property owners. So you will have people who say you are infringing upon my rights as a property owner. We will have people say, how dare you tell me what I have to do with the building. We're not telling, the city will not be telling you what you have to do. They're telling you what you can't do. And what you can't do is let your building fall in and create problems for everyone around you. That's pure property standards. That's a pure property standards issue. And a fire prevention issue. So there are you know, a number of, of different things that the city has at, at its command. To, to go and do that. Are you optimistic that? I'm hopeful. Okay, good. <laughs> you know, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because we can point to West Monroe, little town of West Monroe. They did it in 2019, and I was talking to them the other day, and they have seen since 2019 more than 25 buildings rehabbed and brought back on the tax rolls, not all because of the property, vacant, the vacant property registry, but by and large, it created that desire for people to either sell their buildings or do something with it. And if West Monroe can do 25 buildings, imagine what downtown Shreveport can do, right? So that's one challenge that we have, our vacant buildings, and, and either getting something done with them or encouraging the people who own them to sell them. And number two is, and this is a nationwide thing, and this was caused by COVID, and it is now the 64 probably trillion dollar question out there. Our big tall office buildings downtown, everywhere. Downtown Manhattan, downtown San Francisco. Downtown San Francisco, I was reading some statistics the other day and the occupancy rate in downtown San Francisco is now about 15%. Wow. Because COVID people went home they didn't want to come back to the office, and they are slow in coming back to the office. And in many cases, there is now a hybrid type work environment where you work partially from home, partially at the office, and people are resisting, especially in big cities where you have a two-hour commute. How much easier is it to stay home than to have to go into the center city, you know, to go to your office? So uh, right now, the leases are still in effect in all of these office buildings. But here, because generally leases are three to five years in the big office towers, the same thing happened in downtown Shreveport during COVID. People went home. Not all of them came back. Some are doing hybrid. Um, in the Hainesville Shale, we lost a lot of our mom and pop oil and gas industries. And so there are just not as many businesses who want office space in a tall office tower. But those office towers are incredibly important to us. They are a huge property tax generator for the city of Shreveport. And property tax that is derived in downtown Shreveport does not stay in downtown Shreveport. It goes into the general fund and it helps pay salaries for firefighters and police officers and paved roads in South Shreveport and in MLK. So it's important for us to maintain that that uh, tax base in downtown Shreveport. But the challenge with the buildings, the big buildings that are seeing uh, softer and softer occupancy is what do we do with them now? 
will those employees come back? I think chances are good in smaller cities they will, most of them, eventually. But this is where we need the help of all of our economic development partners, our business building partners, because we've got to have more businesses who need those spaces. So that, that is a challenge as well. Who do we develop next? And if we can't develop new businesses that need those spaces, what then becomes of those spaces? People say, well, let's just convert them to residential. Well, you don't need every building to be a residential building downtown. And when you look at a tall office building, let's just say like the old Chase Tower, which is 400 Texas, the really beautiful red brick building right there on Texas Street. That building was built as offices. So each office is just like an office. You walk in, you've got a light, you've got a desk, you've got a door, maybe you've got a window. What do you not have? You don't have a kitchen, you don't have a bathroom, nor do you have the plumbing for it. Think of how expensive it would be to reconfigure one of those buildings that's not old enough to get historic tax credits into residential. So the owners of those buildings really don't want to go that route. Unless, that is, unless they're absolutely certain that there's going to be a return on their investment for it. So we're kind of in a, an in-between land right now on what to do with all of that and what direction they need to go. Fascinating. Yeah, it really is. There's a lot going on. It's like, again, like that duck, there's a lot of kicking below the surface. Well, we have a great problem solver in you and um, great boots to the ground Thank with you. you and. Um, I and so many of us really appreciate all you're doing. Too. Well, the way you can help me is share, you know, things going on in downtown Shreveport. We have events that will never be held again if nobody shows up. So please know how important when there's an art walk or a second Saturday downtown or an exhibit opening or something at the Strand or an event at the Robinson Film Center, your presence is so important. You know, if you're thinking about where to eat, come downtown. If you're thinking about where to shop, we've got some incredible new retail spaces downtown that people, you know, need to experience. Consider living downtown. You know, consider moving your business downtown. Any, any bit, any little bit helps. Uh, share Facebook posts. You know, read the e-blast. Tell people that you love downtown. Don't repeat, you know, rumors and the thing that uh, that's, that is just very frustrating is I will hear from people who don't spend a lot of time downtown, oh, it's so dangerous. I'm sure you've heard that. I'm oh, it's sure. so dangerous. We don't go downtown. It's so dangerous. Downtown has the lowest crime rate in the city of Shreveport. The majority of the crimes that we have downtown are crimes of opportunity. People, if they don't lock their cars, somebody might snatch something out of their cars. Uh, people might steal a tip jar, you know from one of the stores, it, but we don't have crimes against persons. We don't have, uh, it, cr crime unfortunately, you find crime everywhere. Uh, I just tell people, be aware of your surroundings. I live downtown, I work downtown, and I do most of my playing downtown. I do it at night, I do it in the morning before the sun comes up. Most of the time I'm all alone when I'm walking down the street. I've never felt threatened. I have never been the victim of a crime. And so I would encourage people when folks say it's dangerous, it's sketchy, do not 
listen to that. Come down and experience it for yourself. And I have one final question for you, just because this came up this week. Um, I'm sure you've heard this. I had never really heard it put the way. I was in a meeting at the Convention Tourist Bureau earlier this week, and <clears throat> one of the people in the room, we're, we're talking about how to brand Shreveport better yes. in the future and how to change our, our self-esteem and self-image. And someone said in the room said, we really need to move from me to we. In your opinion, how do we move Shreveport Bossier from me to we? That's tough. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is tough because, you know, just like all politics are local, everything that we do is about us. You know, it's, it's about how do I do better in my job? How do I live better? How do I make more money? And so becoming more outward has got to be intentional. And I think conversations, I think getting people together with others to share a lot of stories helps us start looking beyond our, the tip of our nose. I find that people who work in solitary jobs tend to think about themselves all day long because they're alone. Right, And so they're thinking about, oh boy, my shoulder really hurts today, or I don't feel all that great. But when you're with a group of people, you don't do that. You're thinking, you're interacting, you're thinking about, you know, things they've said. You're uh, coming up with conversation. So I think having people with more people, I think that's how we become we instead of me. And it's... So we start there, and then we have to look at how Shreveport and Bossier and our other neighbors become more integrated with each other. And that is, it's, it's a little bit tougher because we, we tend to see that river as a boundary, whereas people who are coming into our area, they don't even know the river's there half the time. And they certainly don't know where Shreveport ends and where Bossier begins. And it's important for all of us to remember that bridges connect us. They don't separate us. And the things that are happening in Shreveport, whether good or bad, are going to affect Bossier and vice versa. So, again, I think just uh, being very intentional about having conversations helps us get get to that place well thanks Liz I really appreciate you making the time and again I really appreciate all you're doing well, thank you thanks for the opportunity it was great anytime anybody wants to hear about downtown I'll bore them to tears <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't call me <laughs> appreciate you